Cause there are no outsiders to your love We are all welcome, there's grace enough When I have wandered, Lord Cross is the open door There are no outsiders I'm not an outsider To your love So I want to start off a little different this morning. I want to talk about confirmation bias to start the day. The definition of confirmation bias is the tendency to search for and interpret favor and recall information that confirms or supports one's prior personal beliefs or values. It is an important type of cognitive bias that has a significant effect on the proper functioning of society by distorting evidence-based decision-making. We see this all the time these days, this confirmation bias. We discard things that don't fit what we already think or believe, and we actively seek out things that confirm what we already think or believe. It's well-documented well-studied, even people who don't want to have a confirmation bias have a confirmation bias. I'll give you a quick, very controversial example. Aspartame. The artificial sweetener in Diet Coke and other sugar-free treats is one of the most studied and researched foods ever because someone at one time said they found a link between some kinds of cancer and artificial sweeteners over and over and over and over again with huge studies funded outside of the industry and in multiple countries with peer-reviewed research and all the things that make scientific evidence believable and trustworthy, they have found no link between those two things. I say this still fully believing deep down inside of me that aspartame is bad for me. (laughs) Chad says Lori too. My very scientific husband is likely rolling his eyes at this because he knows that I want to believe it's bad for me even though there is no evidence that this is true. Like I said, it's very controversial in my household. Confirmation bias is active in almost every area of our lives today. We seek out and believe things that solidify our personal points of view, and we disregard and discount things that do not. Now, some of you might be sitting here thinking, okay, Pastor Natalia, this is church, not Psychology 101, so where are you going with this exactly? Well, today's reading from Jeremiah is a perfect example of confirmation bias. And we kind of need the full story. We only got a few verses this morning, but I will give you the overview I love this story from Jeremiah. It is one of my favorites. I was so happy to have it pop up on the lectionary on my preaching Sunday. There is some level of comfort for me knowing that confirmation bias isn't a modern issue, not even close. Now, we don't often spend a lot of time in Jeremiah. That's not because we don't think it's important or valuable, but this book is very contextual. And it requires quite a bit of backstory to understand what's happening and where we are, particularly when it's just a little snippet like the four verses in front of us today. So for the sake of time, I won't go full into the history of Jeremiah here, but I will give you just a little context. Jeremiah was a prophet to the people of Israel through a full five 
king reigns, reigns of five different kings, and the fall of Jerusalem and the complete destruction of the temple. Jeremiah is sometimes referred to as the weeping prophet because of his writings of lament and sorrow. I've had more than one person tell me, oh, Jeremiah is so depressing. (laughs) This is the core of his writings are lament. Prophets come or came in biblical times not to tell the future, but to tell the truth. Their role in scripture is to speak the word of God to the people. In today's reading, we find the people of Israel literally standing in the rubble of the first attack on Jerusalem by the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonians had attacked the city of Jerusalem and forced the leaders of Israel into exile. Things were hard and bleak, and morale among the people was not good. The people were longing for a word of deliverance from God. They are so tired. So in come the prophets. Yes, plural. Hananiah is also a prophet, and he shows up to speak a word from the Lord, and he tells the people, things are going to get better, you guys. Everything is going to be okay. Listen, everything you've lost is going to be restored. I'm here to tell you, exile is over. Let's throw a party. And then Jeremiah gets up and says, oh, may this be true. How I wish it were true. But I'm bringing a word of God too, he says, to tell you that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Now, who do you think the people believed? I mean, they look at Hananiah and Jeremiah and they're like, um, we like you, Jeremiah, but I think we're, we're going with that one. That one seems like, I like, I'd rather have a party than more of this. And truly, the temple is still standing at this point and eventually it will be fully destroyed and the exile will go on for many more years. And this book that we find this story in is not named Hananiah, so we also know which one is true, I think. I love this story. I love that Hananiah looks at the people and he sees how desolate they are feeling and he tells them, you know what, it's going to get better. It's going to be okay. I can relate to that. I love that Jeremiah doesn't hold back his harsh word on the people just because they're tired and don't want to hear it. I can relate to that too. I love that the people listen to the two prophecies and then decide on which one they feel like believing that day. I can relate to that one too. I think we all can, right? Who among us hasn't been in one or all of these positions, maybe especially in our last few months? How many of us have been kind of like Hananiah, wanting to offer a bright side in a horrible situation? How many of us have been like Jeremiah, wanting to wake people up and remove their rose-colored glasses? How many of us have been like the Israelites in this story wanting to pick and choose the truth that feels best to them. I love the story because it is so darn relatable. Every part of it. But we also know the truth of what happens. Things didn't get better right away. The exile was, in fact, only just beginning. Jeremiah reminds the people that most of the true prophets from their own history 
They didn't just tell the people what they wanted to hear. The role of speaking truth is not easy. It's not glamorous. We've heard in weeks previous that being sent requires something from us. That we too are sent out to tell the truth and proclaim God's work in the world. As author and preacher Debbie Thomas says, those truths are hard and holy. Hard truths about God's anger and disappointment and grief. Hard truths about the need for repentance and return. Hard truths about the high cost of justice. Hard truths about patience and long-suffering and sacrifice. And here's where I think today's gospel from Matthew comes in. Because the words Jesus spoke to his disciples at their sending begin with, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. Now, so many of us have heard this gospel, including myself, and thought, oh, we just need to be more welcoming. That's easy. Okay, good suggestion, Jesus. I'll take you up on that. We'll get right on it. We'll put all our welcome on our sign. We'll have greeters at the doors. We welcome everybody, right? But listen to that again. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me. This is about being sent and receiving Welcome. Boy, if that isn't a much different thing. If we have to be received, then we have to go somewhere. Somewhere not here. That is what it means to hear these words when we say we are sent. Then and only then, once we have been sent and received, then Jesus talks about how we welcome others. We can't do this welcoming thing if we haven't experienced it first. We have to learn what it means to be reliant on others, to move ourselves from the center of the story. Come to me. I am right here. Open the doors. Come in. We remove ourselves from that center where people come to us and we go to them. We leave the center of the story and head to the margins because that is where we find Jesus. And that is where Jesus sends us every time. And it is in the margins where we learn what it means to be welcomed. This means we take our sending quite seriously. We learn what it means to be on the margins, and we don't just go there for a quick service project, but we stay there for a while. See, Jeremiah doesn't give this hard truth and then walk away back to his gated community up on the hill away from the Israelites. He's called the weeping prophet because he stays right with them in the hard stuff. With the people who are suffering in the rubble of their city and he cries with them. Jeremiah tells a hard truth, but he does it with love in action. He does tell them, you know, things are not good. He tells them things aren't going to get better either. They're going to have to stay here a while. And then he says, but God will not and has not abandoned you. And then he stays. 
Do you see why I love this story so much? Doesn't it seem kind of familiar right now? So what happens next? Well, things get worse. And Jeremiah says, ha, I told you so. No, I'm kidding. He does not. Of course not. He tells Hananiah, he says, you made the people believe a lie and you gave them false hope. And then Hananiah dies. It's just a, just a fun little fact in that story. And then Jeremiah tells the people with maybe just a little bit of I told you so in his voice, we're going to be here for a while, but we can do it and we're not alone. So build homes, he says. Get married, have children, make a life here in the rubble. Learn to do better for your children and for your children's children. God will not leave us alone, but God will not let us continue to abandon those who need us. It is what it is right now, but now is not what it will always be. This whole speech from Jeremiah leads up to that well-known verse in Jeremiah 29, verse 10. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and give you a future, plans not of harm, but of hope. Now, we incorrectly make this verse often about an individual promise, like God's plan is to prosper me, Natalia, and give me, Natalia, lots of hope. And I like that. It sounds really good. I like this part of Jeremiah. Just this part, though. I don't want all the stuff before it, not the part where I had a a part to play in all the injustice around me or the part where God is angry, justifiably angry. Just this part where God tells me he wants my life to be good. You know what that is? It's confirmation bias. God wants me to have just this one good spot, nothing else around it. I'm going to ignore all of the other parts. Confirmation bias is all over our reading of scripture as well. This is clear in this verse. Every time you see it posted in a pretty picture about God wanting to prosper you and give you hope, it is not about you personally. It is about the community of God, the people of God, which is all of us. God wants to give all of us hope. It's a communal promise. It's a promise that Things won't always be like this, but we make it worse by pretending everything is fine and we only hear what we want to hear. This promise God gives through Jeremiah is so much bigger than me or you. It is a promise about God and God's action in the world, a promise that God is always at work redeeming and renewing and recreating and repairing that even now, right now, when things don't feel like they're getting better, God is at work. And we can be too. Hear again what Jeremiah tells the people as they sit in the rubble and they look around feeling tired and desolate, looking for a word of hope. Jeremiah says, Build homes. Make a life. Do better. Go and take care of those on the margins. 
God will stay with you through it all. Mother and father, there are no orphans. Every group and nation gathered in your arms, sing with one voice. Sing with one voice. Cause there are no outsiders to your love. We are all welcome. There's grace enough. When I have wandered, Lord, the As we go out and serve in the, this difficult, hard time, in the rubble of the way things used to be, I challenge you to be cautious and wary of false hope, of quick solutions and easy answers. There is work to do when we are sent and we might be here a while but we are not alone when we are sent we are never sent alone so go in peace to love and serve the lord there are no outsiders to your love we are all welcome there's grace enough when I have wandered, Lord, your cross is the open door. There are no outsiders. I'm not an outsider. There are no outsiders to your love. We are all welcome. There's grace enough. When I have wandered, Lord, crosses the open door. There are no outsiders. I'm not an outsider. There are no outsiders. I'm not an outsider to your love.